The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Numbers, if you could. We're going to read two verses in Numbers 26 and then go on to Numbers 27. Verse 33 in Numbers 26. Now Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. (coughs) These are the families of Manasseh, and those who were numbered of them were 52,700. And then chapter 27. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Zephyr, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of the daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tirsa. Aren't those aren't you glad they're not your names? <laughs> and they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord. In company with Korah, but in company with Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no sons? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause their the inheritance of their father to pass to them. Now if you could turn in your Bibles to Joshua 17 and verse 3. But Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirsah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. What if we go to prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you today for your word. Thank you for that it's living and powerful. Thank you, Father, for all that you want to say to us and through us through the power of your word. Jesus, would you move in today and take control? And would you speak to every one of our hearts 
that we might see Jesus and we might never, ever be the same again. Father, thank you for the miracles that you're working in our lives. Thank you for the miracles that you're working in our homes. Thank you for the miracles you're working in those that we love. So, Lord, would you increase this and would you do in our lives only what God can do? And we just thank you and praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we had a big thing happen in Hungary this week. Katie, Beth, and Dan's baby, their cat, Sarah Jacob, because they weren't sure if she were a boy or girl, had kittens. So Sarah Jacob had kittens. Now, Sarah Jacob was a stray cat that they picked up and that Sadie Katie fell in love with. And Sarah Jacob looks is probably the most pitiful little cat that anyone has ever seen. She has a little broken tail that healed wrong so that it goes up and then scooks out and then goes just in this real funny position. She's white, but she's all gray. She's never quite right, white. (laughs) And then her little eyes are all red, and they always look like she has disease. So you don't really want to love on Sarah Jacob, (laughs) except the four little girls think she is the darlingest little thing. Well, Sarah Jacob had little baby kittens. They found them in the basement, and they were so little they looked like little rats, little tiny mice. Well, then Sarah Jacob did not know how to care for her kittens because she must have never had a mama who particularly cared for her. She was just a survivor. So they all put her in a box and kind of covered it over so she would be forced to confront her kittens and feed them. And if sure enough, they all prayed over it. Then they made a barricade so none of the little girls could get into the box with Sarah Jacob and her kittens, made a barricade. And so finally, after much prayer and much hard work, she is nursing those kittens. Today, we would like to talk about, because, and Katie Beth wrote in her email, she said, when you have a dysfunctional past, even if you're a kitten, it affects how you mother and how you live life. And I thought, even if we're kittens, we have, and if things aren't right in our past, it affects who we are and how we function. That is what I would like to talk about today. What Jesus Christ can do in every single one of our lives so that he can come in and move in and do the supernatural, the exceeding abundant in every one of our homes, our situations, and in our personal lives. And that he can make us into women that we never even dreamed that we could be. Especially some of us that have come from backgrounds that were so difficult and so dysfunctional through no fault of our own. But that God can come in and make all the difference in the world. Now in chapter 20, we read, we studied Balaam's rebellion last week. It made me so sad. A man who compromised until he lost everything, even his own soul. And after, and after the, he seduced the people of Israel at the, uh, at Baal of Peor, and 24,000 people were killed there, um, he died. So that that he compromised for, he never got to enjoy. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 26, after Balaam, such a sad chronicle in their history. Chapter 26 is God beginning to renumber the new generation. 
God has to start all over again. And I think it must have been very hard on the heart of God. I feel very sad about 26. He's got to begin again and see if the new generation will choose to follow him, even though the old generation was so dysfunctional and chose not to and paid the price of wandering around for 40 years in the desert. In this very sad time where God is once again instructing the children of Israel, they've got to get renumbered. Then he goes through all the laws about how to worship him and goes through all the laws about how to live and the Levites. He just reiterates again to the new generation what, how to walk with him in holiness and in newness of life and in fullness of life. There is a bright spot on the horizon. And it is five little sisters... And they are from the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. They are five little sisters, the daughters of Zelophehad. Now, Al's cutie said, I don't think there have been many Bible studies on Zelophehad's daughters. (laughs) But these little five sisters have become some of my heroines in the faith. In this very dark time in Israel's history... At the end of chapter 26, it says, For the Lord said, They shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man man of them except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the son of Joshua. Not a soul is left from the preceding generation, only Caleb and Joshua and Moses. And then he dies before the book ends. So that we have two out of two million. But in the next generation, who are just as carnal seemingly as the old generation, these five sisters come to the powers to be. And we find they're named, and they come to the leaders of Israel, to Eliezer, to Moses, and all the leaders of Israel. And they come to the doorway of the tabernacle, and they present their case. Four times they are mentioned in scripture and four times all five sisters are mentioned with those little peculiar names. Do you know that the Pharaoh of Egypt is not, that during the Exodus is not even mentioned in scripture? But five little sisters are named four times in scripture and the very last book of Numbers is all about their inheritance. So that what we have is four, five women that come to the, the elders of Israel and they say in verse 4, Why should the name of our father be removed from his family because he has no sons? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So the, Moses brought the case before the Lord. What's happening here is there's no male heir. And because of that, when they numbered the people of Israel, the family of Zelophehad had, had no inheritance in the promised land. And these women said, wait a minute, this is not right. We do not want our father's name to be blotted out of the chronicles of Israel. And we want to be a part and possess a possession in the land that God is giving to our people. So they came and they said, give us a possession. And was anybody else saying that? Not a soul. 
And they came and said, we don't want to be left out. We want all that God has for us. And we do not want our family name to be blotted out. Give us a possession. Now, this is by faith, ladies, because they've never gotten to the promised land yet. They're right there on the other side of Moab, poised to go in right across from Jericho. But they're not even in the promised land. So they come by faith and they ask for a possession among the people of God in the promised land. And the beautiful thing is, they go. Moses says, let me take your case before the Lord. This is another example of godly leadership. Because he doesn't just shoot from the hip. What he says to them is, I will bring it to the Lord. So often you and I, when we're working with people, somebody will come to us and we'll go, oh yeah, and we just let something come off our mouth. And we don't really have the mind of Christ because we haven't sought it. So what they did, they didn't shoot from the hip. He said, let me ask what God wants to do. And then I want you to underline in your Bibles this passage. I, I underlined it and I read it to Al. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophehad are right. The women are right. <laughs> the women are right. So what again? And he said, you shall surely give them a possession, an inheritance among their father's brothers, and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. He said, the women are absolutely right. When they get into the promised land, they do not need to be denied their, the family's possession. They need to stand in the gap, and they are allowed to possess all that belong to their father, even though there's no male heir. Now, this is very radical. It's not the day of women's lib. It's very radical in Old Testament, in, in that time, day and era. And that gives you a sense of the heart of God for every single man, woman, and child, that no one is denied all that God has for them by gender or sex or nationality or a physical state. Everyone, God is available for everyone and all that he has. Now, what I think this is saying to us today and what this has said to me is that I believe God would like to get us so squeaky clean and so right with him that no matter what our past has been or no matter what our family's past has been, that you and I as women and Titus women this morning would be women that would stand in the gap for our father's family. Stand in the gap for the extended family. Stand in the gap for those that have gone before. And if they have not been godly and have not known God and have not walked with God, that you and I would become the point woman, the one that is willing to stand in the gap and say, Lord Jesus, I claim my father's family, my mother's family, my extended family for the kingdom of God. I, I claim them as part of my inheritance that when I get to eternity and face Jesus Christ, there will be my extended family walking into the kingdom because there was one, one who stood in the gap that my father's family name would not be blotted out of eternity. And what I find so often in my own life is that instead of holding on for extended family, and I just pray those little prayers that you pray at night when you tuck your kids in bed. Bless Susie, bless Sally, bless this one, bless that one, bless the other one. And we just name them off, but we don't really pray for the ones that really need to be born again. We don't really hold on and intercede. We don't really blitz prayer. We don't really believe that they can ever be saved. So we just let them go. We just kind of 
mouth it because we know they're lost. We know they're not living in the fullness of all God has for them, but we just kind of go through the motions. And so that 10 years go by and they're just as lost as they ever were. 15 years go by and they're just as lost as they ever were. 20 years go by, 25, 30, 35, 40, and they get right up to eternity and slip in because you and I weren't serious about getting hold of God on their behalf. I would like to challenge us in this next holy week as we get ready. Say, God, could you move into my soul and lay on me that not one from my father's family or my mother's family, not one of my progeny, our family would be lost, but the extended family would go into all that God has for them. And you would teach me how to pray for them. Now, the next thing we find is the 36th chapter, and I didn't read it to you, is that when you and I begin to hold on, just like they said, we do not want to be denied all that God has for us in the promised land. In chapter 36, if you and I begin to really get serious about God and really begin to intercede and claim for all that God has for us, the enemy is not going to be happy and neither are other people. We are going to get some flack. The, 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 <clears throat> we're going to get some flack. And sure enough, these five little sisters got some flack. And where did they get it? From the powers to be. From, from the leaders of the tribes. And they all came together and said, if these girls are getting the inheritance of their fathers, what if they marry outside the tribe? And if they marry outside the tribe, then the tribe of Manasseh will get smaller. And in the year of Jubilee, it will go to their, their husband's families instead of staying in the tribe. So they laid down some very careful guidelines. And they brought their petition to Moses. And Moses, once again, says, let me find out what God says. God gives him a plan. He said, the men are right. <laughs> he said, the men are right this time. What we've got is the men are to, are, are the women are to marry in the will of God. And they are to marry in the tribe. So that the family, the tribe of Manasseh is not um, um, diminished, but it is augmented. And they are to stay in the will of God and marry in the will of God. And they are to live in the will of God in their tribe. So it is not made smaller, but it is, it is made larger. Now they laid out these four steps. And the women, then they presented them to the women and said, what do you say? And the five sisters not only were willing to possess their possessions, they were willing to do something that's so hard for you and for me many times. They were willing to obey. Did you hear that? They were willing to obey. They said, absolutely right. We will marry within our family's tribe. And they did. They married some of their cousins. And so that the, the possession, the tribal possession was not diminished Neither was their father's possession lost, but that the, the whole family went on to inherit all God had. Do you know what I think? God wants us to stand in the gap for extended family. But God wants us to stand in the gap for the family that he's given us. And those of us that are married, he wants us to stand in the gap for husbands, those that are not married, waiting to get married. He wants you to marry in the will of God and have the will of God for you and that you and I are to claim our progeny, our husbands, our families, our immediate family 
for God. And we are to stand in the gap that God would accomplish his eternal purposes in our homes and our families. And that we might become Jesus wives, Jesus mothers, Jesus women. That our homes might be places where they find God. And that we might stand in the gap that every single one that's in our home might know him and love him and not be lost. Now, there t- I remember being in a um, retreat. And one of the gals, I, I didn't even mention this. I, and I don't even remember now what I was speaking on. It was in Mississippi. And I went one time and then came back a couple months later to another place. And that little gal was there. She said, I went home and I said, God, how do I stand in the gap for my family? And she said, I had a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And she said, we had very little communication with our 15-year-old and 13-year-old. They got home from school and one went in her, his room and the other went in her room. And they put on their CD players or the TV. And she said, the 8-year-old still bopped around and communicated. But the other two, we just didn't know anything going on in their lives or what they were thinking of. So she said, she said my husband and I began to pray together. And then she said, I asked God to give me a plan. I said, Lord, what is a way to begin to reach out to these children so they're not just in their rooms and that I know what's going on in their hearts? And she said, Beth, he heard me. And she said, I was so surprised. And then I was more surprised because when I shared it with my husband, he said what God said to through Moses to the Lafayette's daughters, the women are right. He said, I think you're right. That was a miracle. <laughs> and so she said, do you know what the plan was? And I said, no, I can't wait to hear. She said, he said, every night, leave the dishes and then have family worship. He said, go into the living room, get out of the mess of the kitchen. Said God was quite specific. Go into the family room. Let, and then the three, and then just don't lay, make it long. Make it doesn't have to be long. And just read from the word. And then ask them if they have anything you want to pray to you about as a family. That they need prayer for. And then pray together as a family over the word. Having read the word. And she said, so we started. The first we told them, and they go, Mom. And they sat there with their ears. Um, you could see how they were shutting their ears. And they sat there all slouched over and all, and just kept. But she said, because the two of us kept persevering. So every night we didn't read long. We didn't make it long, but we'd read a little of the word just share a little bit what God had said to us through it, and then we'd pray together. We'd say, do any of you want to pray? No. First, only the eight-year-old prayed. He prayed every night. He was just <laughs> praying, praying. And I said, praise Jesus for eight years of age. <laughs> and she said, but after we kept on and we didn't stop and we got through all the, the what you have to get through, you know what you have to get through. She said, we begin to see a softening. And then we began to get, well, I've got a test, and I've got this, and I've got that. And God began to open up a little bit. And they didn't come home from school quite so fast and go in their room. They'd eat something before they'd go in. And then begin to notice they talked to each other. And then we talked a little. And then there began to be breakdowns in the armed camps between the generations. She said, I knew God had really began to break through. When my husband had to go away on a business trip. 
and I, we fixed supper, and I was all hassled, you know, and I forgot about our time, and I was getting up from dishes and got ready to put the dishes in the dishwasher and then turned around, and my 15-year-old said, Mom, we're waiting, and the three of them were already in the family room waiting for me. She said, Jesus works. He said, and she said, God can give us his ideas and his plans for our families so that you and I can begin to stand in the gap for them. If we're, gone, if we're talking about grandchildren, our cousins, or nieces and nephews, or others, God can give a plan like our Deborah plan to give us ideas of how to reach out. God is wanting you and I to become creative in the Spirit of God and to begin to possess our possessions and begin to possess our children and our homes and our families and say, God, what is your will? What is your mind? What what do you have for me? And what do you have for my family as we stand in the gap? In chapter 17 of Joshua, it says that Zelophehad's daughters, they had finally, it is not just by faith, Finally, they have gone into the promised land. They have conquered the promised land. They have dividing up the areas for the different tribes. And in chapter 17 of Joshua, the women come again to Joshua this time because Moses is dead and said, pardon me, you've divvied out all the inheritance to all everybody else. But I think you slipped up and forgot what God through Moses had promised us. That we would have an inheritance in our fa- for our father's family, and our family would not be lost. So, ladies, they did not just quit. They just didn't do it by faith. They persevered until they actually had in their hand all that God had for them, and the family of Zelophehad was not wiped out of the chronicles of the people of God, but it is recorded four times in Holy Scripture, and those five women are named four times in spite of their little peculiar names. God is wanting us to stand in the gap and not quit. So that so often you and I begin to pray, begin to really get serious with God. We begin and then we fall away. We begin and then we draw back. We begin and we get discouraged. We begin and then we just stop. And God says, don't stop. Persevere. Keep on persevering and endure until God has done miracles in your life and in the ones you love and in extended family. Don't let go till God comes. Now, ladies, something has helped me in my own personal life as God has applied this to my own heart. Because sometimes you and I do hold on, and then things get worse. And you say, pardon me, Jesus, where are you? (laughs) I, I just think I'm missing something here. Don't be discouraged if things get worse before they get better. Because God allows sometimes the disappointments in our life and the things that do not go according to plan. Because God is doing something there deeper, more powerful, more real, and more wonderful than we can imagine. And his purposes for us and for the situation we're in are not just for us for no more, but for the redemption of the world. And I remember reading, remember about Hannah. Hannah, it says twice, three times in that first chapter, the Lord closed her womb. God takes full responsibility. But yet... Penina, her, her, the, the, the other wife, has five children. Boom, 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 boom. 
And she wasn't nearly as, she was, she was a little bitter woman. And here Hannah really loved God. Do you know what God was doing there? And I reread it a night, last night again in Born for Battle. God at that point, once again in Israel's history, at the end of the judges, there was not one righteous person that God could put into leadership. Not one. They were all apostate and wicked. So the purposes of God for the redemption of the world were about to be wiped out. And then God caused difficult circumstances in the life of one little woman that he said had a heart for him and he saw had a heart for him. And she held on and she was praying for a baby and God was praying for the, the Christian statesman to lead the people of God back into a righteous place. And that is exactly what happened. He took the prayers of that one little woman and as God heard those prayers, she was praying for a baby and God is praying for the Christian statesmen to lead the nation back to God. So that you and I, when God brings things into our lives that we cannot understand and they are so painful, they drive us to himself. It is because God is not mean and cruel. That is the only way for us to get his, to get our attention. So we get to the place where we are not just praying for, please get me out of pain, but we move into the dimension where we say, God, I submit to you, even in this that I do not understand. I do not know what you are doing, but I believe you are doing something bigger and wider and more redemptive than anything I can imagine. And in that hour, you and I begin to place not my will against God's will, but we enter into the place where it is his will, his will alone, and only that he would be glorified. That is all we want. Remember the classic story of Greenleaf and Grout Time. I wish every single one of you had that in your Jesus library. This is the man born for battle that was at the last, remember the last ones out of China? In 1949, God led them to the borders of Tibet, and then they were put under house arrest, and they had a little tiny girl who was like 15 months old, and they were there for four years under house arrest. And they were stripped from everything. They couldn't do ministry. They couldn't do, they, he couldn't help the people. He couldn't do evangelism. They lived in just one little, a couple little rooms. And no one was allowed to talk to them or speak to them or give them anything. And yet God, every single day, provided for their needs. And even though their situation was deplorable, God sustained them. And they worshipped every day, morning and evening. They had family worship. And they sang. And when they first got there, they began to pray, Lord, get us out of here. Lord, deliver us. Lord, help us. Lord, why did you forsake us? And they were controlled by their fears and their longing for deliverance. But I remember as a teenager reading that book, the first part of it I read and I was so angry with God. I said, God, you are mean and cruel. But by the end of the book, when I got to the very end, do you know what had happened? God, for four years, had sustained them, and he had brought that couple, the Matthews, to the place that they said, God, if you ever free us, it does not matter. Your will and your will alone is what I want, and you be glorified through our life, whether by life or by death. And they had gotten to the place for the enoughness of Jesus Christ in that very perilous situation, and they did not die. God freed them ultimately in four years. But what had God done? He had asked them literally to be a living sacrifice that those Chinese could see that no matter what they were going through in the throes of communism, Jesus Christ could be enough. 
And God is asking us today that we will not throw in the sponge, but that you and I might move into a dimension that we know Jesus Christ so well that we begin to say, God, this one finds Jesus Christ and the devil is, and they're taken from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of the son he loves. Oh, Jesus, move our hearts today that we might know him like that. So that our will is his will. And that we our desire for our life. Do you know what holiness of heart is? Where I have one will, his will. And the longing of my heart is that he might be glorified. In life or in death, that he might be glorified. And ladies, that is ultimate freedom. That is what it's all about. And then out of that love relationship, Jesus can draw others into the reality of himself. Now, Psalm 107 has met me recently in an incredible way. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's you and me, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. That's what I love about Jesus. He's for the whole world. <laughs> and it's going to be so fun in heaven when we, all of us are there from all the different nations of the world. We are going to have so much fun. I think there's something about every people that he loves and that we need each other. And so what do we have? He says, I want you to tell what you've done. I've done in your life because I'm good and I'm merciful. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, this is to guide us in prayer. Because in this little psalm, it talks about how do we possess our possessions like Zelophehad's daughters. It tells us four different states that the children of Israel found themselves in. And you may be in one of these states, or those you love may be one in, these sta- in one of these states. And this way you can begin to pray and ask God to get you out of that situation or that place in your life, or the ones you love. And it gives you a game plan. In verse 4, the first one they talk about is those that wandered in the wilderness. So that there are those that you and I love, or even in our own life, where we wander in the wilderness. And what are the characteristics of a wilderness wandering? It's desolate. There's no place to dwell. We're hungry and thirsty, and our soul faints within us. Is that true in anybody's life here? Is it true in anybody you know that they just don't have direction or purpose in their life? They don't know what God made them for and they don't know quite the place to, to, that God wants to put them to accomplish his purposes in their life. They are in the wilderness and it is a desolate, lonely way. The secret to getting out of the wilderness, ladies, is in verse 6. They cried unto the Lord and he delivered them out of all their distresses. The secret to getting out of the wilderness is just to cry to the Lord and he will meet us. And then he gives them a plan. He led them in the right way. He gives them guidance. He gives them a place to dwell. And then the chorus again, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy to get you and I out of the wilderness and those we love out of the wilderness. And then the overflow is he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry with goodness. So that if any of us have where we're hungry and thirsty, Jesus Christ can satisfy and fill us and give us guidance and direction. Now the next thing, are there any of us today sitting in darkness or the shadow of death, 
bound and afflicted in irons because of rebellion against God? Or is this true of anyone we know and love? That they're bound, they're in darkness, in the shadow of death, and they rebelled against the words of God. They've despised his counsel, and they brought down hard labor and suffering on their own lives. That's true of many of those that we know and love. That God says, wait a minute. The secret is, is to cry out to the Lord. And we can cry out to the Lord on behalf of those that are bound. And we can cry that God would bring them to the place they come to the end of themselves and cry out to the Lord. And when they cried out, of the, out to the Lord, he brings them out of darkness, out of death. He breaks the chains. He breaks the gates of bronze. And he breaks iron in two. <laughs> Only Jesus can do that. The next place he takes, he says, there's some bound, there's some in the wilderness. But then he says in verse 17, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word. It's a different solution. His word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. This is about anorexia of the soul and anorexia of the body. Where we come to the place, and I believe because of sin or because of iniquities, which is that brokenness deep down inside of us, all of us at times believe the devil's lies. He'll say, you don't measure up. God can't use you. He'll say, you're too this, or you're not pretty enough, or God can't, you're not smart enough, or you, you came from the wrong background. No, you can't be used by God. Why do you even try? So, and, and then you and I get under pressure, and even though we can be filled with the Spirit and we can have known Him as Savior, we get under pressure. You put any of us at 5 o'clock at the right time, and all our kids pushing our buttons in the right way, and do you know what things can come out of our mouth that we never expected to come out of mouth that came out of the mouths of our mamas, our daddies, our grandmamas, and our granddaddies? Generational sin that all of a sudden we're passing on to the next generation. And God says, no, let's not. He says, no. He said, let me come in and heal so that lies in our minds and things that we say are broken and that God can come in and replace it with truth. You have incredible value to the heart of God. Yes, I have a purpose for your life no one else can feel. Yes, I love you with all my heart. Yes, you bring joy to the heart of Jesus so that when those old tapes come in from the devil, you can just say, Jesus, could you just please go around and smash those old tapes so I don't suffer from anorexia of the soul and the spirit? And would you put in Jesus' tapes by the power of your word that heal and set me free? He can do it. He can do it. We don't have to live one more day. And then he said, sacrifice praise at the power of Jesus. Then the last thing, and this one is so where we all live that he gives the word picture first. (laughs) The word picture is going down to the sea and getting on a boat and going out uh, like on Cumberland Lake. 
And then all of a sudden, there you are in the boat, and a storm comes up, and that boat's going up and down, and maybe more like the ocean, and up and down. And it's throwing you this way and that way, and your tummy's so sick, and you're so sick, and the boat goes up and down. And it says that, that, that life can hit us, and circumstances can be so strong that our soul melts. I'll never get out of this boat alive. We reel and stagger, can't you see, like drunken men on that boat reeling back and forth and then he said we come to our wits end how realistic is God where circumstances are such that they reel us up and down and there comes a place we come to our wits end we do not know what to do and the solution is the same for every single one of these situations it is to cry unto the Lord and he will deliver and he will give you a way to get out of the circumstances or a way to live in them in victory and he said he calmed the storm he stilled the waves and they are glad because they are quiet he guides them to desired haven oh that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness oh that men would give for his wonderful works to the children of men now I wonder today if anybody is in the wilderness I wonder today if anybody's bound there's some habit or some condition in your life you can't get free of I wonder if any of you are believing lies that things can old patterns come up and they keep you bound with anorexia of the soul and spirit wonder if life has just hit you so hard and so fast and you can't understand it you're just overwhelmed and at your wit's end the solution is the same to cry unto the Lord and he will hear and then he will give you a way of escape so you and I do not have to sin now this is true for those we love so that those that are bound we can say Lord bring them to their wits end so that they can say Jesus help me that you can break the press and iron chains and set him free. For those in the wilderness can't find direction or purpose. That God would put, set him in, put him in a place and give him direction and purpose. And they'd cry unto the Lord for that. For those believing lies that they would be set free. And for the last one that just when life hits us so hard that God would come in and calm the storm. And come bring us to the place where our will and his will is one. And that you and I are able to go forward in victory and not go forward and be lost. The end of the chapter is all the blessings that come to those that make God their God.